Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today I'm really excited to sit down with Kate and Dominic from Tsunami Bomb. Been a fan of this band for a really long time, and they've got a brand new album out. First one in, I believe, I'm right on this, I believe 14 years. It's called The Spine That Binds. We're going to talk about their classics, their reunion, the new lineup, and much more. This is Tsunami Bomb. Hey, Kate. Hey. Hi, guys. What's going on? How you doing? Good. Good. Haven't seen her since Florida. Haven't seen you since years. Yeah, what, 2000. Two, I think. Yeah, Dom was saying you guys played a show together back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah, way back when. I mean, this kind of came out of nowhere. Like, uh, Mike hit me up and said, "Hey, would you want to talk to Tsunami Bomb for their new record?" I'm like, "Would I? Of course." You know, <laughs> and that just came together really fast yesterday. And and you guys, uh, of course, said yes right away. And um, I told my wife, and and she's like, "Oh, I still have a lot of those photos and and stuff, and like we were able to dig out the flyers and the autographs and the buttons and and all the stuff. It was pretty cool to see." That's awesome. Yeah, that is really cool. She was uh, telling me this st- story because the first time she saw you guys, it was the same year in two thousand two, and I wasn't there. It was one of the few times where I was like, "I don't think I know any of the bands on this bill," and so like she went without me. And uh, I remember just chilling at home like, you know, I'm going to look them up online. And I'm looking up Tsunami Bomb and RX Bandits going, God damn it, I should have gone to the show. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, her and her friend went super early, like they let them into the venue. And it was just the bands doing sound check and hanging out. And she and her friend had made this like collage and gave it to the band. And she even like found her diary in this box and was like, oh, yeah, we found the show. Like here, the Dominic loved the gift. He pulled everyone over like, hey, check this out, guys. So we we really got a kick out of uh, digging through all that old stuff last night. And I I was glad that when I sent it to you, you're like, oh, I remember this shit. I do actually remember that. I remember the show and I remember the collage because it did hang in our practice space and i'm pretty sure i have it in my storage that's Um, so cool i'm almost positive yeah i remember the first time i went up to oakland to visit dom after the whole like actually joining tsunami bomb thing and uh he'd actually pulled out a box that was all old pins and some patches and like some sticker and just like his random stuff and i had never gotten to see them before so for me as like a longtime fan i was all geeked out and like oh my god this is like the old school like heart and skull button like can i really have this like i want this (laughs) yeah that's that's badass yeah one of the funniest things that happened is when she joined we gave her a copy of like Mayhem, or we gave her a copy of Trust <laughs> yeah, No One. Yeah, Brian gave me Mayhem, and you gave me Trust No One. Yeah, and then she was like, "Could you guys sign it?" And I was like, <laughs> "What? It's your band." And she goes, "Yeah, but I'm not on this." Yeah. <laughs> nope, I've got the collection going. Not not at 100 percent yet, but. Um, what are you missing? Not all the signatures yet. Oh. I think I've just got you and Brian actually. Oh. There you guys, I'm like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was impressed when uh, my wife pulled out the flyer. I was like, damn, you got everybody on this. That's pretty cool. It's, okay, I swear it's like a gotta catch them all situation. Even now when people are like hanging out after shows, I'm like, it, you're not going to find all five of us. So like, yeah. I can get you like two. That's true. It's so true. Well, uh, right. I appreciate you guys uh, 
taking the time, and uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard of this show, but apparently your people have. So um, I'm glad to have you. And um, yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, man. I, I usually on this show we we dig back from the beginning, and then we work our way up to the new record. Are you cool with that? Totally. You got two good representatives for, for that entire Sweet. story. So. As the as the fan, and then as the band member, and then. Yep. Uh, later as collaborators so i wanted to uh go back to what i knew as the first record and that's invasion i feel like when i was listening to this new one it threw me off at first because the one that i go to is the second record right and there's not really any keys on the second record and so when i turned this one on i'm like oh shit this is a little different <laughs> and we went and put on invasion last night and we played it twice in a row i was like oh fuck man i forgot how good this first one is though tell me about when you guys started because there's such an amalgam of styles i mean did you set out to do something specific or was it just whatever happened everyone bringing their own style to the table well when we started back in 1998. <laughs> hey, my band started in 98. There's no shame. Yeah, yeah I just, there's somebody who is real. There's three of us in this conversation, and someone is really young. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, were you born yet, Kate? I was seven. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> fucking jerk. <laughs> so, in 98, we were out of the Sonoma County scene, which is like the North. Bay Area, just north of San Francisco, and uh, it was a scene where, and a time where, it, I'm really grateful for it, because at that time, there were a lot of punk bands, but it wasn't, there was also an encouragement to be as, like, every band starting was trying to be original, we weren't, there wasn't so much an attempt to try and sound like anything that was big, and there wasn't so much an attempt to try and sound like each other you'd have a show where there'd be like a metal band, a ska band, a punk band, and then a hardcore band and yeah. then like an indie rock band. Like nobody cared. And, um, I guess during that time we were all trying to get ska bands on the shows because there were like 10 of them in a band. And if they all brought friends, you had a crowd. Yep. So in that scene, you were really encouraged to be really crazy. There were a lot of really amazing bands around that us in, in its own scene. It was all built around a place called the Phoenix theater. We would all hang out there like every day and uh, and Friday and Saturday nights there were always shows. So when we started initially, <sighs> so embarrassing, I was in a rap, ska, rock band. Full disclosure, I'm a rapper now, so that's, it's, no, there's nothing it's fine. wrong with it. It's just, it wasn't exactly like a rap band and it wasn't a ska band and it wasn't barely was a punk band. Like it was just its own complete ridiculous thing. That's a very 90s band. It was, it was a very nice band, and it almost got signed to a mainstream. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, it almost went really big. It was just this ridiculous situation that I found myself in. At one point, I was like, "What am I doing? Like, I love rap, but I like I'm in this. It's this band's kind of silly. It was all, but looking back, I recently listened to it again, and I was like, "This is pretty good, <laughs> but it's definitely a '90s. It sounds very '90s." Yeah. And, and in the wake of that, I started talking to this girl I was dating who was also in the project, she would sing all the choruses. In fact, see, that was the one thing that was interesting about that band. Verses would be rapped, and then the choruses would be sung by our female singers. We played a show one time with this band when we were auditioning for some of the major labels we were talking to, and they had us play with a band that was a much better version of us <laughs> uh, called the Black Eyed Peas. Oh, shit. But 
but they didn't have a girl singer. But yeah. We did. Yeah. And we played with them, and they were like, wow, that's really awesome. And then they're like, the people who signed them did sign them. And then when they blew up, I saw they had added Fergie and they had a female singer. I was like, they got that from us. So you're to blame. <laughs> yeah, totally. Blame. You're totally to blame to for ruining the black eyed peas. <laughs> well, they, I think they did pretty well in the end, so I think they're fine. But um, <laughs> good rappers. Anyway, after that band, it started falling apart. And I thought of this idea of doing this alter ego manga anime sounding kind of style band i wanted everyone to have these superhero nicknames and it was going to be completely ridiculous and i the first person i asked was my friend courtney who was like a younger sister already i had met her through my little brother at the phoenix she was a little bit younger but she was just such this impressive person she was just she had so much magnetism and presence and she was a great musician and i was trying to convince her to do to be on guitar and she absolutely refused and insisted that she play keyboard and she became Oubliette Sparks. And uh, the girl that I was kind of dating at the time, she agreed to be the singer. And her <laughs> I think she was calling herself Madeline Rex. I was going to try and be Hero Zero, but nobody would believe it. Uh, <laughs> everyone knew me as Dominic. Nobody accepted it. So my like code name died on arrival. Like There was just no way having it. And we were trying to do this. Like I, I don't even feel like we were trying to be punk at first. It was just trying to be this... Madeline Rex June is her name. She was trying to be like very emo. She was really emo. Then you had like Oubliette being kind of metal and industrial and punk. And I was ska and pop punk. And so it was like we were mixing this stuff up and trying to be make something interesting out of it. And uh, we couldn't find all the musicians we needed. So we borrowed from a slightly industrial band. We borrowed Gabe. <laughs> he, he sat in on drums just filling in on the first few shows and he would join a year later so he brought in that aspect and he was an incredibly precise drummer and then we borrowed Oubliette's boyfriend Tim who was a very rockabilly guy so our first guitarist was a super rockabilly guy that kept saying like I'm not in your band <laughs> not I'm just helping out but I'm not in your band but we wrote songs and played shows with him and we'd just keep asking him to play one more show so when you saw the first version of Tsunami Bomb, it was like this collection of people. All of us came from a different corner of the scene, and we would play with anybody. And we were just trying to make, like, I know that, like, influences were like Oingo Boingo was a huge influence, and Skank and Pickle was a big influence because I loved their shows. We loved the darkness of White Zombie. Um, you know, we were trying to bring together all these things. And make this weird uh, little little spooky band. And we really, really wanted to be on Lookout Records. Ah. That was what we wanted to do. And we eventually played a show with Groovy Ghoulies. And I remember asking Kepi, I was like, what do I, what do, I do to get to where you're at? Like, I want to be on Lookout Records. And he's like, I don't know, man, keep playing shows with bands that are cool and that are on <laughs> those labels. And then if they like you, they'll tell them. Uh, and then you'll be discovered. And that's actually a really good idea. If you want to be on a label, play with all the bands on the label. <laughs> it, that's good advice. What if I just get all of them on my podcast? That, that also works. That also works. But yeah, so the, that was the purpose. The, the intent was we didn't really limit ourselves. It's not like we started trying to be a punk band. We didn't try to be anything. We just wanted to be a good band. Yeah. And we pulled from everything. And even to this day, I'll just say that, that like, 
you know, even when we're writing, we're not necessarily listening to punk rock. I don't, I, I none of us want to sound like anybody else. I, I don't think any of us care what's the popular thing. We just really want to make something that we can be proud of. And if anything sounds timeless, and that's always been the attempt is to try and sound, write songs that are timeless, that are unique in some way and interesting to us. That's been the goal from start. We we just wanted to impress our friends, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and make something that we could be proud of, and not sound like anybody else. I mean, if that was your mission statement, that was very clearly accomplished. Because in hearing you describe the members' influences, but also just the bills that you would play in the in the community that you came from, that makes a lot of sense. Because I mean, you get some songs that have like sort of almost a ska feel without even having a ska part. And you're like, that's, that's cool. How'd they even, I don't even know what that is that you can make a ska song without a ska part and no horns, <laughs> but it felt like it. Right. Or you could have, yeah. I mean, the, there was a track on the first record, uh, that I, I forget the name, but when we were listening last night, I was like, man, that could have come off the first day of record, you know? And then you've got that kind of spooky medieval organ thing going on on top of it and then i mean like really strong opener really strong closer but everything in between was just up and down and i think the consistency of you and gabe holding down the rhythm section and m carrying the vocal is really the glue otherwise there were so many variables and yet because of those constants, it didn't really feel like, oh, now we're doing a song that's in another style. It's more like within the song, you kind of move back and forth a little bit and you're still serving the song. It's not like, oh, we're going to go out there and try, you know, this other, like, we're going to go out there and try swing time. It's like, well, when you guys did that, it was just its own song and it works, you know. It's very much indicative of that culture, you say, where you play with indie bands and industrial bands and ska bands on the same bill like when you say that i'm going okay yeah i'm connecting the dots going all this really makes sense you know yeah there was a lot of pull from everything to try and make our own version of it and we just never stopped doing it and then when you mentioned like oh this has an afi feel like i had a ska background and like i always liked making songs dancey we always liked making people move that was always a big goal but like afi was actually the first band to come along and kind of take us under their wing nice. um hunter bergen the basis for it we put out a split seven inch on our own with another band called plinky that we ended up kind of merging with we kind of absorbed them when they broke up and we lost members and june left so emily and brian brian plank and emily whitehurst aka agent m those were the those were the two people we kind of brought into our band because june left and then tim finally was like i'm not playing guitar for you anymore i'm leaving and we ended up getting this kind of heavy metal drummer for a while, Rob Reed, that played with us and before he left, and then Gabe finally joined for real. But then Hunter Bergen saw us, and he got into it, and then he signed us to his little label that he was doing nice. for Mayhem on the High Seas 7-inch. That was the 7-inch right before we did Invasion from Within. So he brought us out to see AFI, and we all knew AFI because they are from Ukiah, just north of us. Yeah. And it was funny because I had kind of seen them and then I forgot about them. And I think I told Oubliette, I was like, yeah, aren't they like a pop punk band? And she's like, no, they're not a <laughs> pop punk band, you dick. <laughs> like, you know, you... Were they still part of like the Gilman scene at that point or had they moved beyond that yet? Uh, they were just breaking out. They were on Nitro Records. Okay. Uh, they put out Black Sails yeah. around this time. Nice. And they brought us to a show. And I remember all of us watching them. Their stage show has 
always been incredible. Yeah. And we just looked at each other going, we need to be more like that. Yeah. And it changed. And then that added a huge dimension where we started approaching shows being far like, because I, I, I always loved Skank and Pickle and that was a big influence on our live show. But then after we saw the aggressiveness in AFI, I think we got yeah. more aggressive. And then you kind of see those steps. And I think that was a, that was a big moment for developing the sound. As we saw this band AFI and really saw them coming out in their own and black sales and just went, yes, this is what we're trying to do here. I want to do this too, you know, but in our own way. We didn't want to sound like an AFI. I mean, I, I still hold up because I, I saw them, black sales, all hollows, Art of Drowning, all, all of those tours, I still hold up the best shows I've ever seen were those first, yeah. those first two times we're at little 500 club rooms and just the chemistry of the band and the audience and the interaction and the singing and the intensity of everything. And, and you know, I can hear that in your guys' stuff because you have powerful group sing-alongs, you know, that are engaging in the way that theirs were. Even on the new album, you guys are doing that stuff, you know. I, I can really see that as well. It's cool that you guys had that connection because I didn't, I didn't realize. I was just hearing, like, a little musical cue that sort of reminded me of Answer That or Very Proud or something. And uh, it, that, that makes sense to me, too, in hearing, you know, the group vocals and the little hints of hardcore, little sprinkles yeah. you would do. I think it was there to a degree, and that's what draw, drew Hunter to us. But at the same time, uh, it, you just couldn't see them and not be influenced <laughs> by it. So, Kate, I want to know you as a fan, though. Um, what, what was yep. it that what hooked you in? Like, what era of the band did you first hear? So I, unfortunately, didn't get to experience Tsunami Bomb until after the end of Tsunami Bomb of, of the first era. So. Yeah. I grew up in a really small town south of, of the Bay Area. So country kid, my dad is a jazz producer um, and puts on live shows. So I didn't grow up with a lot of influences around, you know, anything punk or, or anything like that. So it wasn't until I was in high school and, you know, really it was a hot topic scene. Um, yeah. I got super into, you know, My Chemical Romance and The Used and, and those are kind of my footsteps in. Um, and I was at Hot Topic and I picked up. Uh, a copy of the Definitive Act and a copy mm. of the first Hello Goodbye record. I have this very oddly weird memory of this, um, and in Love and Death by the Used. So mm. it was weird because I'd been going to Warp Tour for a couple of years, but kind of like dancing around the edges. Yeah. Um, but for me, there wasn't anything else like it. Like just like you guys were saying, and I think even more so as as a kid who grew up and and loving music and loving the scene. And I'm a kid of the '90s. You know, I love Spice Girls and I still love Britney Spears. And, <laughs> and I had that face and and I love to sing. Um, but I had never heard anything like H and M and like oh, you can sing and still be pretty, but still be tough and still be hard, but it's not screaming and. For me, it was being in the car with my mom, you know, singing Dawn on a Funeral Day, and like, this is cool. I feel a little bit more like me, but I still am my nerdy, you know, at that time now, what you could say is a millennial self of, of pop songstresses, but kind of in a little bit of harder edge. And then I found out years later that I did have a copy of Lemonade on a comp that a friend had given me in middle school, but I didn't know it was Tsunami Bomb, right? Like, it was just a burn CD that that was like track seven, and I had no idea until years after that that lemonade was a tsunami bomb song you're like track seven is fire i don't know who it is but yeah basically and i remember it had balls by acdc as the lead off <laughs> to that, that uh, mix i had it, it was just this weird amalgamation of pink floyd and acdc and lemonade and but yeah so for me it was just super unique 
and kind of a like, well, you know, nobody ever needs to hear me, but I'll, I'll like sing in the car with mom and it's, it's really empowering. Yeah, man. I, I think that there's so much value in that in when you come across that record, especially as a kid, that's like, it shows you your place sort of, you know, like yeah. before, you know, I've had records like that in hip hop say when I was younger, I, you know, I was a punk rocker and I didn't really, you know, I loved Run DMC and the Beastie Boys and whatever, but I, I never really saw myself in it. And then like, I heard a couple underground rappers. I was like, whoa, they're talking about minor thread and stuff like crazy, you know, and I started to make the connection and then it was like, oh wow, like there's a place for me in this too. And, and you know, that can change your whole life and your trajectory. And how cool is it that you discover this little band and flash forward years later, you're out there playing with them. I mean, that's, that's pretty fucking rare. I mean, that's like John Frusciante joining the Chili Peppers, you know, it's like, that's totally. a r- rare story. I was watching Rookie of the Year the other night and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is like what this feels like. <laughs> Speaking of 90s. Joining your favorite baseball team. Yeah, right? See, <laughs> I'm not ashamed. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're totally right. It's very much a punk rock Cinderella story and it's, it's cool. It's weird, but it's cool. That's awesome. Uh, so I'll, I'll dig into that a little bit more with the new record, but I, I do want to talk yep. about Ultimate Escape. Yes. Because, man, for me, like, like I said, that's my go-to record. You've got the, the tremolo picking, take the reins, um, you know, the swing time. Um, you've got six, eight, you know, shuffles going on. You've got all these different things. And, and then, like, you know count me out you know like just like yeah. straight up you know melodic hardcore like i mean it, it's it really just doesn't sound like anything and yet it works you know uh, i think it's very indicative of the time without feeling like bottled in it does it doesn't really follow the rules and maybe that maybe that's why it works i mean it's like oh this little thing's sort of like you know, the Atari is this little thing sort of like this, other, but they're just like moments, you know, the, and uh, I, I just thought that, that that record was so well executed. I can only imagine what it was like for you guys, but for us getting to book you guys, we couldn't find a venue. All the all ages venues had like boarded up and stopped doing shows. And so we got to host you guys the week that record came out. And we're so excited. And we're like, we can't find a fucking place. And so we just did it at the park by my house. And, <laughs> and so I'm like, these guys have got this new record on Kung Fu. It's super fucking good. Everybody's super excited for it. But then, like, these guys are playing for a bunch of high schoolers at a park. Uh, I just felt like, <laughs> like we wanted to do so much better, but we still had a good time with it. <laughs> I don't know. I recall it being pretty rad, so... Sometimes the, those are the best shows, you know, it's like that, that happened more often than you thought, than you think, Yeah, you know, touring around during that time because some areas, and even now it still does in some ways because it's like we, we'll go to certain places and we'll play these huge venues and these incredible crowd, like huge crowds, but then we'll go to another place that Sonogam hasn't been in years and we start out like in a smaller spot. We've never really had an ego about that some of the best shows we've ever had have been smaller places and it's really the crowd that you have and I have a really good memory of that show like I was really surprised when you sent that flyer over and I was like oh my god <laughs> I do remember this and it wasn't something we're like oh god we're here but let's just make the best of it yeah. like no it was super fun it was it was a great show as I recall and I had a great time the, there was a couple funny things that happened at that show like 
my other band was not on the bill, but for some reason we were like way ahead of schedule. So we're like, yo, you, you guys want to go up and do a few songs? And it was me and the singer had booked the show together. And apparently that was a terrible idea because we had some like stupid bullshit ego arguments leading up to it. And then during the set, we broke up on stage. That is a great memory. That's awesome. <laughs> the ultimate escape. That's so... Yeah, that was... That's awesome. But I mean... <laughs> I, I don't remember all those things. I have to admit, I, I don't remember No, I, I wouldn't expect you to, because that's some, some random local band scene drama <laughs> shit. But, um, I mean, that seemed like a really big time for you guys. I mean, was that record a... It kind of a gateway to a bigger audience. I mean, or I don't know if Kung Fu had anything to do with that, or just timing of it, or I mean, yeah, Kung Fu had a, had a lot to do with it around that time. Also, leading in, like um, right before that, Springman Records, uh, this guy named uh, which it is now Silver Sprocket. Uh, this guy named Avi, um, he he put out a compilation uh, with a bunch of bands on it and sold it for a dollar while following Warp Tour. Nice. And we put Lemonade on it. That's and the comp she got. Yeah, I don't know if it was the comp she had, because that, that I, I don't recall ACDC being on this particular punk rock strike comp, but that would have been amazing. <laughs> but he sold like 50,000 of them. Wow. Over a summer, and really put us out there. So then that led into, we started doing some shows, and like, <laughs> Tsunami Bomb being unique, we had a really hard time finding a home, like another record label to put us out. That makes you sense. You know, like we, we were put on the table of all of them, fat, epitaph, side one dummy, everybody. And everybody kind of passed in some way, shape or form. They all said like, they all just didn't know what to do with us. Yeah. Um, epitaph, like certain labels would tell us stuff like, Oh, we don't sign girl bands. Oh, you know, because especially back then there weren't many, and everybody kind of felt like girl bands couldn't sell merch, and we were a girl band because we had girls in our band. Yeah, well, fucking Paramore showed them. Yeah, and it was a really weird time. But then, like Chris Rowe from the Ataris had seen us; he really pushed us to a lot of places. And uh, finally, he had talked to us about to they were on Kung Fu Records, and he had talked to the Vandals about us and. So we performed with the Vandals uh, through the Southwest, and it was a, a place we had played a bunch on our own. So we had a big audience. So when we played these places, they see the audience go off, singing every song, and then we brought brand new merch. So they bought everything, nice. and they're like, holy shit, this band, we haven't seen a band sell merch like this since No Doubt. Yeah. So they, they were interested. So when we came out, we signed to Kung Fu Records, and we had been working on all the material for... The ultimate escape, but the one thing that really happened that was really terrible was that Oubliette left yeah. the band. Like we kind of got into it, so like you didn't hear keyboards on the ultimate escape, but a lot of it was written with keyboards. A lot of those songs, and we tried to incorporate. We couldn't find a, a keyboard player to replace her. There was just no replacing Oubliette. And yeah. if you see her live, you if you meet her, you watch a video, or you hear even hearing her on the new record, or in. Uh, invasion from within and some of the early seven inches she's just kind of irreplaceable like there is nobody like her and i know there's a version of take the reins that's floating around in the world that does still have keys on it um, yeah yeah it's a kung fu records comp that i'll be googling it, it shortly. they were interested in us they put it out 
so there was an early version with keyboards and and I think the songs were so much better with keyboards on them but like so she helped write a lot of the ultimate escape with us and then she left right as we were like gearing up to do that record and record it so it's like a real bummer I wish we could have all just put up with each other's shit a little bit longer yeah. she should have been on that record to kind of enjoy the success with you that's one thing that I'm really glad of now is that people are getting to see Oubliette and understand who she is and learn how important she was and yeah. see like what just what they missed without seeing her and having her around because we were very much diminished I think because of her without her and I'm not just saying that like I thought that then but I was just too mad to admit <laughs> yeah. it at the time I was determined that we would like make it work and I mean, we did because the songs were great. Like she did a really great job with the rest of us. I think we came together and wrote a really great record. And then, but we went in the studio to record that record. It was really challenging. It was um, we fought with the producer a lot. There was a lot of like attempts to change who we were and kind mm. of push us into this thing. And I think it, it's a great record despite those struggles. Like sometimes records through struggle will become better. You know, but I think that honestly, again, like it's easy not to get Tsunami Bomb and it's easy to try and put it in like a, a certain package or try and turn it into something a little bit more familiar. Yeah. And we had to fight all the way along to maintain some of the identity on that record. And it was pretty traumatic because, you know, like we don't have the keyboards, we don't have Oubliette, we're trying to record these songs, we're fighting with the producer all the time. It was a real nightmare. But then the record came out. And at first, like, people didn't know what to do with it, but then it just sort of slowly but surely kind of just caught on. People, it's become a big favorite. Yeah. And, it, like, even when Rolling Stone put it on their list of best pop-punk records, like, I was congratulating my friends for being on it because I saw everybody's posts. They're like, Atari's are on it, and, like, so-and-so's like, so -and -so's on it. I was like, hey, congratulations, guys. That's so awesome. They're wrecking it. And then I found out we're, like, 31 or 32 or something, and I was like, what the fuck? Really? They're like, he's just trying to get us to look at it because his name's on it. <laughs> yeah, like I had no idea that we were even mentioned, that Rolling Stone had even thought of us or anything. And I was really, really flattered and blown away. We all were. That was really incredible. But that record was really painful and it was a real difficult time. But like, but it's just, I think there's a lot of really amazing songs on it. And I think that when it's strong it's really strong i think there's a couple weak songs on it in my opinion but i think that the strong ones are really really strong and, yeah and they really helped define the band to everyone so like that time period was it just it all came together you had warp tour helping us and kung fu coming in and then the songs we just from touring and everything we had the best of oubliette's contribution and, and everyone else's contribution i think it really helped bring us from this quirky little horror band to a more punk version. But I, 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 I'm really proud of that record. Gotta say that I sort of fell out on the third record. Unless I fell out on that one too. I'm, yeah, that's what I had heard. <laughs> uh, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm less familiar with that one. I should look that one up before I talked to them. I was like, oh, he wasn't even on it. Weird. Okay. Well, I know a lot about that record, oddly enough. It was a very weird situation where I was still in the band, but I wasn't in the band. Yeah. Like, we were just touring nonstop. And you could be in a in a car with Bob Ross and Mother Teresa and <laughs> the best examples of humanity and calm and patience. And if you're just tired and you don't get to go home, 
Yeah. Uh, you're going to eventually start turning on each other, you know, and I think that's nobody was there, including ourselves, told us to like stop and take a break yeah. and take a moment. We were just going like there was a there was a good year where I was we just weren't home except for a couple weeks, at, you know, total, like maybe a month. That's crazy. We all said month and a half like we were gone nonstop. But you get these amazing offers and and it wasn't so much that the, the band became your job. It, it just became your job because it was pulling you away so much. Yeah. And then it was how we were making money. So then when, you know, social distortion wants you for a couple of dates and the vandals want you for a couple of dates, and then you have this great offer for the, like, you're just going, 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 going. So around that time, I wanted to bring back keyboards into the band. That was one big thing. I think that the others were not down with. And I wanted to kind of bring in what made us unique in the Invasion from Within era and then the drive and power of the Ultimate Escape. And I wanted to move us forward that way. And then my argument was, even if we couldn't have a keyboard player live, I felt like we should have some keyboard on the next record. And then I felt like the others were trying to think about what was very much going on in the moment, the bands that we were seeing around us and how they were interpreting scene and wanting to be more up to the minute and be more like the things that they loved so there was a real division in where the direction of the band was going to go yeah it end result was that i was kind of pushed out but i had started the band yeah. <laughs> and come up with the band and wrote a lot of the songs and came up with the logo so they couldn't really get rid of me but if nobody wanted to play with me and i got kind of convinced to let it keep going rather than end it and so the definitive act came out for them as a way of them trying to make a statement about the direction that they wanted to go. They wanted to be more timely, but they still kept a lot of things that made Tsunami Bomb, Tsunami Bomb. I don't want to make it sound like the definitive act was them trying to follow us out. Yeah. I feel like they were very excited and inspired by the things that were going on around them, and they wanted to make a record that felt like that moment. There was this desire to make this record that would be really powerful and really take advantage of the moment going on around them. And I think that they, to a degree, they did. Kate loves that record. I mean, I think there's a lot of strong songs on it. When we first came back, we weren't sure, you know, how to feel about it. Because now in this range of time, you're starting to get a lot of members in Tsunami Bomb that weren't there when it started. And then, you know, eventually it gets to a point where it's like, I know it's confusing for people because they'll, they'll have seen a tsunami bomb and they're like, you guys aren't the original members. Who are these people? And it's like, motherfucker, we're the ones that wrote most of the songs. Yeah, it's weird because like your peak popularity, I feel like, is not necessarily the original lineup. So now you're coming back as the original lineup and people are like, but it's not the original. Like, no, bitch, you weren't there. You know, so yeah. it's like a little confusing. Well, it's really funny because even now we'll see people that are very passionate about their favorite record yeah. regardless of the people that were on it but like this is the record i like this is a tsunami bomb i like this record's crap and they're diehard fans you know tattooed across all of them yeah. but have very strong opinions around which sound is the tsunami bomb yeah for three very drastically different records and that's kind of hard because you know like we talked about with the mix of genre i mean they are very different records and it's all a different point of the band's evolution and so that can be a hard band to like right i mean it's hard to be a fan of someone who always gives you something different each time we're definitely challenging i one of my favorite descriptions of us in a review was 
well, there's two that I love a lot. One is that I don't know if they're breaking the rules on purpose or they just don't know that there are rules, but it works for them. Yeah. And, and I love that because that's pretty accurate. And then the other one is somebody described us as the John Waters of punk rock, <laughs> which I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but I'll take that we're the weird, quirky, yeah. kitschy and crazy, dark, bizarre band. But when I see a threat, yeah. I feel like I see threads throughout it all. And I feel like, you know, what we were going for. And, and with the spine that binds, I feel like that's kind of a course correction where we tried to make a record that sort of touched on everything that we had been, including the definitive act, yeah, including the ultimate escape and the invasion from within and bring those, bring those elements together, kind of correcting the course and, and reminding everybody of like, okay, this is what's unique and then just trying to dial it to move it forward a little bit to show where we could go. And I feel like that is what I'm hearing, because at first, like I said, I turn it on and I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of keys. Oh, yeah, I forgot that was a thing, which made me listen back, right? And then, of course, we have Kate coming in, kind of singing in a lower register on the first track, too. And you're like, okay, wh what tsunami bomb am I getting this time, right? And then I notice, like, my toes tap and my legs go, and I'm like, Oh, but it's got that same groove, and then it's got these catchy choruses, and you're like, you got the group vocals and all the things, and you're like, yeah, this really does have all the things, though. You know, like uh, all the yeah. ingredients are still there, even yeah, if like. I mean, Kate came in bringing a lot of the definitive act and her her identity of what she identified as tsunami bomb, and and I listened to the definitive act a lot in the trying to make sure I understood elements to be able to bring that in. Yeah. to this music because I wanted to make sure that that was included. I wanted there to be callbacks there because that's part of us. Even if I wasn't there and I didn't write that one, like that still, you know, if you're going to be Tsunami Bomb, if you're going to represent this band, it needs to be there. And I wanted, we want, we all wanted something that would link that. I mean, I thought the definitive act was, I think an album that came out at the height of Tsunami Bomb's initial popularity. A lot of people really love that record and really felt affected by it we didn't want to pretend that it didn't exist that that wouldn't be correct it's it's a it's a it's a great record so um you know i i, I don't know if kate has something to say along this line too but i mean that's pretty much it like we didn't want it to leave any chapter behind when we move forward so the definitive act but it's a bittersweet memory too because that's when i mean i felt very helpless during that time i was very disconnected from tsunami bomb during that time i watched it come to an end yeah. You know, it had more member changes after I left, and eventually they just kind of gave up on it. And I think that that's when Emily and Matt McKenzie, who had replaced me, went on to do the action design and kind of chase the sound. They yeah. kind of touched on Definitive Act, but spun it out into its own its own sound, you know. And then Jay, who was a guitarist at that time, and Gabe went on to form Nothington, mm. which is a really incredible punk band. Yeah, to a small extent, you know, the wife and I, we followed action design and... Um you know, survival guide and try to keep in the loop on, you know, where things went afterward. But it is a very, this new record, Spine That Binds, is a really well-rounded version of the band. I mean, like you talked about, I mean, you'll have little glimpses of, you know, super fast punk and the little tiny um, hardcore big group backup vocals, but they're all so catchy, you know, and it really does kind of touch on all those eras in it 
you know, it shows like you're saying, even though I wasn't around, we tried to include that, you know, and I feel like it, it's a complete record for you as songwriters because you're able to reach and draw from all these different places. And it's also, no matter what era of the band you like, there's something in there for you, you know. I feel like that works uh, uh, really well. And seeing, you know, hearing your intent now and thinking about the record I first heard yesterday. Is it is it out now or is it? It's out now. Okay, yeah. okay. One of the things I wanted to ask, just backtracking to something that you said about living on the road, I had read that Kate had not been in a band prior to this, and I wonder how much are you living on the road how much are you shoved in this um situation and what what was that like going from zero to 60 in this case it's kind of funny because even at the start of this conversation dom mentioned you know gabe was supposed to fill in for a couple of shows yeah um, that was my experience it was brian talked me into you can do this for one show mm-hmm it was just supposed to be the Vandals holiday celebration to support Trust No One. And so I, I had never done anything outwardly musical. Um, I was a kid that was too shy to do choir as much as I love to sing. Um, when I told my dad I was going to do this, and this was after my you know auditions with Dom and all things, he looked at me like, you can sing? Like, <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> God, I wish that were a joke. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. And I can actually so, hear your dad saying that. That's literally said. We were having coffee and he looked at me and was just very confused. So, no, you're, you're right. It, it was going from zero to 60. So, for me, I think it was kind of like jumping in the deep end when you're a kid in the pool. Like, yeah. you really get to a point, like, I'm going to do this or I'm not. You know, people are going to hate me or they're not. But I really did come from a place of I didn't get to see Tsunami Bomb. And Tsunami Bomb meant so much to me that I was like, if I can bring this back for one night so people can at least hear these songs and, and have that nostalgia moment, then I'm going to do it. And at the very least, hopefully people are nostalgic enough to not throw things at my head. Like it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it really was just so supportive of between friends. And, um, and there's a funny story for another day about Dom terrifying me during my rehearsal and <laughs> scaring living daylights out of me. I um, didn't mean to do that to well, you. Now you have to you tell did. it. Bro. Um, but I, I figured it's, if these people were going to take a chance on me, like I could do it. And then you, you layer in Joe Escalante in particular, all the vandals, all the vandals, but Joe was so kind when we got to that first show and so supportive afterwards that between him and then fans coming up at the house of blues, I was like, I guess I did something well. Like this was worth it. And, And it was just, it was very strange and it's perfect that that was in Disneyland of all the places to start this journey. It's like, cool, let's, let's go to where dreams are made of. Um, but we, we luckily aren't on the road all the time. Um, and I think that's part of what's working for us now is, you know, all five of us have lives and careers and families that we love as much as we love the band. And I think it keeps us in a place that's very honest and very human and very appreciative of of how special of a thing this is that we have, yeah. um, that we can have it just be a part of our lives, not consume us. I hope you don't mind the comparison, but what you're talking about, like fans who couldn't be there the first time and now getting to experience this, right? I was uh, 10 when Bradley Noel died. I heard them on the radio and I, and I called the radio station because this is the 90s. And I was like, <laughs> hey, like is Sublime 
on tour? Are they coming, you know, here? Like, you always announce these great shows, you know? And the radio DJ off air had to tell me that Brad was dead. And so it wasn't until Sublime with Rome that I got to see this band. I'm talking tears in my eyes, singing along front row. And, and I know that people have their feelings about that. But, like, for me, that was such a moment for me. And I, and I went back and saw him again, too, because it was just such, there was so much love in the crowd. I felt it was nothing but positive when they did that and when I got to be in that audience, it felt really, really good. But I also feel like Tsunami Bomb had an element of that No Doubt, AFI, Paramore thing where M was so beloved by the fans, you know, that... Uh, that had to have been really intimidating to jump into. I mean, I'm really glad that it was so validating for you by the fans and Escalante and, and everybody, but um, how much consideration was that going into it, going, this is a risk? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I initially found out that there was even a possibility of the reunion for the, the one night, um, so kind of kind of rewind, when I met Brian... Um, Plink, our Snowbomb's original guitarist, yeah. uh, we worked together. And so um, he and I, you know, the only two people that really like punk, we were at a Newfound Glory show. And he looked at me and he's like, I miss that. Like, I, I want to do that. I, I think the band can do that again. And he'd asked me, like, do you think you could ever do that? And it was, no, like, <laughs> absolutely not. And and then when it came back to this and then gears are turning and it, we find out Emily's not coming back, I'm like, why are you going to do this without her? Like, I was just as much of, like, don't change this. Like, yeah. why Why would you think you can? And um, it took a couple of months, and I know he and Dominic auditioned a lot of people and Nubliet, and they, they tried to find the right thing, tried to really convince Emily to come back. So, no, you're 100% right. It, it was super scary, and it, it got to the point where I was going to do it or it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So I auditioned. Um, it was September 19th. And the show was December, like, 15th. So it was, you know, right up to the wire of, like, we've got to make a decision and we have to figure this out. So I think that took some of it away. It's like, okay, this isn't a, am I the best or the right fit in this particular moment? It was just, can we even make this moment happen? Yeah. And if I can be a part of making it happen, then I can take the risk. So it's interesting to hear you say that because I have it from a different angle. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, we started talking, this whole thing started when Joe Escalante and Kung Fu Records were like, hey, did you know that, because I was working with them, helping them out, and they were like, hey, do you know that Tsunami Bomb still sells? I was like, no kidding. And they're like, yeah, it sells really well, actually. Nice. And I was like, really? You're like, give me my check. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Snowy Bomb put themselves way in the hole initially for that. Gotcha. <laughs> so, not so many checks at first, but it, it they, they pay. But then, uh, he was like, you know, you, I know you're sitting on all these EPs and 7 inches that are now out of print. It'd be cool if you collected them and put them out. I think that would be a big thing. And so I was like, yeah, actually, that would be a cool thing. So I reached out to everybody. Because, uh, Court, uh, Oubliette and I were talking and Gabe and I were talking. We had all started talking again before this, you know, and I was even starting to try talking Oubliette into, like, doing a project. Yeah. Like, let's do something. Let's create something new. Let's just do it. And I was, like, joking, jokingly, when we started talking about 
putting stuff out, I was like, why don't we ask Gabe to drum for it and just do a little recording project? You know, maybe Brian can play on it. Like, wouldn't that be funny? People might notice that some of the members of Tsunami Bomb are doing something. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, that could be fun. Like, we could, like, record something and pass it back and forth. I was just looking for an excuse to, like, work with her again and then have her in my life and talk to her all the time. So we all agreed, including Emily, and everyone agreed that these songs should be out. So that became the Trust No One collection. We were, when we were designing it and putting it together, the whole idea was that this was just this last release, uh, this little throwback release that would come out. But then we found out that like Kung Fu didn't really have a lot of money to dedicate towards marketing it. It would just come out. So we thought, you know, why don't we do a show or something to just like get people to notice that this thing is out and yeah. that, you know, just like what better way to make everybody notice this record than to like play a show. And everybody was in except for Emily. Yeah. <laughs> she just has moved on. She didn't feel punk rock anymore. There are members that she doesn't have a good relationship with. There are members she has a great relationship with, a decent re- You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it yeah. depends. There was that I th- aspect in it. And I think that she just really felt like she had said honestly, she goes, I don't really feel punk rock anymore. I don't want to speak for someone who's not here. Yeah. She just really wanted to focus on Survival Guide. That's what she's doing that's where her heart is it's a very different kind of music she's really talented it's very beautiful we tried to convince her we, you know we sent her stuff and we went back and forth and so then the idea was well why don't we do something like flag like yeah. we'll create a new band with members of tsunami bomb playing tsunami bomb songs and some new songs maybe and we'll just go have fun sure <laughs> you know and we even thought about all and descendants yeah. you yeah. know like we thought like well, what if you know it's like i feel like we could do something kind of neat that way and we were talking about that and then when we started playing together started messing around everybody that heard the practices or came by to check it out or anything were just like dude this is tsunami bomb nice it sounds like tsunami bomb it's tsunami bomb it's everybody but Emily, it's, especially because it was all the older songs too. So mm-hmm. like some of these were written before Emily joined, but she used to come see us all the time. Because that's something funny too is that Emily used to come see us play all the time. Yeah, and like I have pictures of her in the audience of early Tsunami Bomb shows. We play shows with her band and stuff. So she took over for a singer, and at that time there were people going like, "Ah, she's not going to be able to do this," <laughs> or "I like, I like." June, but I mean that really happened. You're like I've seen, really, I've heard all this shit before. We, we honestly <laughs> the, the, now anytime I see any sort of criticism, it I don't want to say it makes me laugh because they're you know I don't like anybody. You can't help but feel protective of your friend even if she doesn't need it. Yeah. But it's still like it's like dude, I've seen you're saying the same things. You know, like oh they don't have a voice for this kind of music. Like, that's what they had. That's what they said about Emma. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. like. Oh, that you know, it's not the right voice. It's like that's just what I said. You know, it's like we—I've heard all this before, so it's like it's just a repeat. These criticisms aren't even original, even if the people saying them think that they are. They're not. These are the criticisms we've always had. Did Emily give her blessing when you were moving on? Was that a point of contention at all, or no? It wasn't. She was. She did give her blessing. She knew what was going to happen and and what was what was going to occur, Good. and she kind of knew all the way along. I think it's important to remember too how this progressed right you know it was yes. one show and then it was well people couldn't come to that show maybe we'll play a couple more like it, it was a good two years before it really was let's let's be tsunami bomb yeah. Um, yeah and and so i 
when you get into the intention and kind of a, a plan, if you will, it, I remember having this conversation with Dominic while I was trying to get my passport to go to Warp Tour in Mexico, and it was, he was like, maybe we don't beat Tsunami Bomb, maybe, maybe we don't do something else. I was like, then what are we doing? Like, if we're going to play these <laughs> yeah. songs. But, but that was a conversation he and I had to have two years removed. So I think for everybody, including, you know, current members and the changes we've had, you know, we've had three guitarists since we've been back, and, yeah. and all the I old members, yeah, um, <laughs> I think it, it really has been kind of a layered thing, which I think has been really good for all of us, and of course, not to speak for the you know twelve past members of Tsunami <laughs> Bomb that have existed, but I think it's it has been the right slow evolution for all of us to kind of figure out what are we doing and when where are we stepping and what do we all really want. I think that's really true. I, it did kind of just sort of flow into each. You know, yeah. the intentions were very pure initially of just trying to kind of pay a tribute and get people to notice this old record coming yeah. out and just kind of make do with what we could do. But I want, there's one thing I need to address that Kate said that she's actually wrong. I hate Shoot. to tell you, but you were wrong. Uh -oh. It wasn't something that you were never somebody we settled with. What actually happened was is that Brian, and Brian, remember, joined with Emily. Like, they came together. Yeah. And he was like, you know what? My friend Kate, she has an amazing voice. I think she's the right person. I think she doesn't, you know, I think she can do it. I think that's who we should get. And we were like, oh, okay. And I had met Kate at a concert, and I liked her. Like, I thought she was really nice. She was really cool. But I was like, Bad religion. Oh. So, yeah, Bad Religion, Offspring, Vandals. I was touring oh, Vandals at that God, show. God, that's a lineup. Yeah, it was <laughs> Bad Religion, Offspring, Vandals, and one more. Picnic, I don't remember, but yeah. continue. Anyway, so yeah, I met her there, and I thought I was like, "Oh yeah, her." And I was like, "What bands has she has she done anything before?" And he's like, "Nope, never been in a band before." And Oubliette and I were like, uh, uh, "We're not throwing somebody into this grinder. That's not cool. Yeah. That is just not cool." And like talking to Brian, the reason she says that I tried to scare her is I was worried that Brian didn't give her a proper impression of what exactly was happening. Like yeah. she was going to walk out into a crowd that I was like that. That isn't sure who the hell you are. And I was mm -hmm. like, that's scary. I, I, Our intention initially was to find somebody who was in another band that people knew and liked yeah. and would come in and sing the songs. So that would be the idea. So, like, it would be somebody from, you know, we talked about Mel from Lucky Strike, who, who we played shows all the time. And we said, hey, we can play some Lucky Strike songs, too. You know, just like, let's do a throwback thing. We, we were trying to do something fun. Yeah. You know, play some of these old songs. And we wanted that if we couldn't have Emily, then we would have somebody come in who everybody knows from this other project and be like, oh, how cool. This is them doing a tribute to this record. Yeah. And that was the initial intention. It's just that nobody, nobody was right. You could still be trying to please the audience by giving them something familiar you know take blink for example there's a lot of alkaline trio fans who still won't be satisfied with a blink <laughs> record that's yeah. not tom it's still not tom you know two records and four years or something into this thing it's still not tom so i mean there's just some people you're not going to please and at the end of the day you got to do what feels right for the band Right, it's got to be right for us. And that's actually the thing where she got wrong. And I need to make this clear because <laughs> she needs to know this too. It was coming down to the wire. We were kind of getting to the point, but the only thing that enforced our choice 
Because I would have dropped, we would have backed out. Like, I actually tried to convince Oubliette to just front it. I was like, do you just front it? Which I did in the first place, too. When we started the band, I was like, you be the singer. And she was like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, she just didn't want to do that. She wanted to be, just like she didn't want to play guitar. She was, like, going to be the keyboard player. And she she would do vocals, but she wasn't going to be the full-time front woman. That's not what she wanted out of Tsunami Bomb. That's not the Tsunami Bomb to her. But I was like... So when we couldn't quite find somebody, we tried a lot of different voices out, and people just changed it too much. It was too different. And I think it might have been intimidating for some people. Yeah. You know, there was one person we talked about in a band, and they wanted to do it. I think they would have done a good job, but her band was terrified that she would just join us. Yeah. And she'd be in Sonargo. I was like, no, it's not like that at all. We, that's not what we're trying to do. Turns out. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, maybe they might have been right in the long run, but I don't know. But, like, we just weren't going to be a problem like that. I was like, we'll work around anything else that you guys got going on. It doesn't matter, you know? Like, yeah. other than this one show, if we do anything more, I think I remember saying, if we do anything more, it'll work, we'll work around you guys. But it just was too scary. They were like, dude, you'll be in Sonargo. You're no way. You can't do that. Like, so it was really hard to find somebody that was right. And then. Brian kept bugging us to check out his friend, check out my friend, check out Kate. And we were like, she's never done this before. I'm not teaching somebody how to do this. And I don't want her to like be exposed. This to be her first experience. Like that's fucked. But then we finally, like, because of the timing, we finally relented and started like, okay, send me, take, let me hear. She was awesome. (laughs) And that's the funny part is we did not settle on you. It was, that you were the first person to to sing the songs in your own way, in your own voice. You didn't sound like Emily. You didn't sound like June. You didn't sound like anybody else who had done it before. You just sounded like yourself. But when I heard you sing those songs, and Oubliette agreed too, and Gabe agreed, it was like, it's still Tsunami Bomb. It's different, but it's still fucking Tsunami Bomb. Like, it feels right. And so, like, Oubliette and I looked at each other and was like, we're going to have to give the rookie a chance. She's the best one. Like, we have to do it. So I went and met with her, and I did try to scare her because I was afraid that Brian hadn't told her the truth. If anything, but, I think, you know, to your point, Sam, what, what Don just said reiterates is, like, it was so clear that they cared. Yeah. And it was, if they're going to bet on me, I better sure as hell bet on me. Like, anything else, like, not fucking it up for these guys. So. Yeah, she was just the best one. I don't want you to ever think or anyone else to think that we ever settled. Because if it if if she hadn't been right, you know, around this time, I think we would have just called it, and I would have said find somebody else, and the Vandals could have found somebody else to play that show. Yeah, and we would have just stopped and not done anything, or you know, kept looking. I don't know what we would have done, but uh, she really was the missing piece. And then when she came in and sang with us, it was like I remember looking looking at Gabe and going like it's like the old days like this is like <laughs> the energy feels is right. like the band like and she made it even more so and it's like so it's really funny when you see people say you know anybody who we, we've been really lucky how supportive everyone has been like we really have like it, I expected way worse than we got but occasionally you do get criticism and you do see mean things you know people who may say it and all that stuff but like reference but at the same time when they say stuff and it's kind of funny because it's just like one things like where they're like you know however critical they can be like if it's truly mean they're like it's like you look at it and you're like that's not true i'm sorry it's not true she's a fantastic singer 
Yeah, and you know it. You know, you can have your favorite, but she's incredibly talented whether you like it or not. And I was there for every singer of Tsunami Bomb. And I have loved them all. I was a huge fan of June. When Madeline Rex, I love. I loved what she brought to our band. I loved Emily's voice. I love Kate's voice. Kate, and as a front woman, has been. She's embodies all the best elements you could hope for, and she's a better friend. And I'm not just saying it because she's sitting here listening. I mean it, <laughs> and I, the whole band feels this way. Like everybody feels this way. That if, if anything, this band became real and changed from a tribute to what we had done before and became a tsunami bomb again in a real band and moving forward, it's because of Kate. So I want to talk about that transition yeah. because we have to get to the new record. Um, <laughs> the, you, when you talk about you guys have been playing shows on and off for two years and come to this decision of like, all right, what are we doing? Are we tsunami bomb or not? At what point do you begin writing and because we've heard joe escalante and kung fu records named several times here this one you're with biafra and alternative tentacles which is really exciting but yeah i'm just curious as to what was the lineage from okay we're doing a tribute show every night to we're going to bring original content and then actually a shift in label i think uh starting with the song piece, um, it was the same kind of slow ramp up. Dom had mentioned a couple times, you know, he was looking at side projects or maybe something else would be a little more permanent. So it was the first time we went out after the Vandals formal. We were actually in line at In-N-Out in our van after a show, and Dom was playing something that he had written for a side project uh, that he was thinking as a baseline. So he's playing this baseline for us just for fun, and then Oubliette and I just started kind of humming over it and like coming up with our own melody and like just kind of going back and forth off of each other. And Dom looked at us and he's like, God damn it, it's a tsunami bomb song now. <laughs> uh, and that's Lullaby for the End of the World. So. Man, what I wouldn't I do think... to be working that drive through that night. <laughs> Shit. Right? I think that been, yeah, there was plenty of nights of uh, in and out and drive throughs. But yeah, and I, so I think there were just kind of moments like that of less of a conscious decision to write, of more of just like five of us that are creative people and, and uh, Christopher Forge, who was with us for a long time and, and the creative power that he was, uh, it just kind of started to happen of we're suddenly writing these songs and then trying to put them together. And I think also going through the emotional ups and downs that was bringing this band back together. Like we had a lot to say, whether it was through melody or whether it was through lyrics. Um, so we started writing this record almost four years ago yeah. and it just was piecing it together along the way to, you know, the last song we tracked was the spine that binds. And I know that's something that had been in Oubliette's head and heart for a long time. It was just, when is the right time to finish these out? We have a whole lot of other songs that didn't make it to this record because they weren't right for this record. Um, but yeah, it was a whole evolution of waves of writing a ton and then not writing much and then writing the right thing and finding the right thing to say. So it was less of a decision and more just it kind of happened because you guys are all together and playing music. Yeah. And then about the last year, it was a like, well, if we're going to do this, really, what's the sound and what is this record going to be um, if we're writing these things and how do we bring them together? Yeah. I don't know what you would add to that, Dom, from, from another side. Yeah, just only that, like, Oubliette and I started passing stuff back and forth pretty quickly, because like I said, we had attended an idea of a project at some point, 
And there were many times where I would have my doubts about us doing this and being mm-hmm. Tsunami Bomb, where I'm like, you can't, let's just do something else. Let's do do another another band. Like, let's just call it something else and put out a record or put out a 7-inch. And, like, we could do that. We could shift gears right now, and everyone would know, like, okay, this is the members of Tsunami Bomb doing this, with, and this is the new project. But, like, it just, like, you know, like, I think Kate, Kate everyone just kept saying but it is tsunami bomb. Like this is tsunami bomb. Tsunami bombs more. Than, it was always more than one person. It wasn't like Emily wrote everything. Sure. You know, even I wrote more songs for tsunami bomb than anybody. I didn't write them alone. Yeah. Like you know, everyone's you know, helped. To, to that point, Dom, I think the really solidifying thing was when we did find Andy. Um, so Andy is a longtime friend of the band. You know, these guys have known him for years, and he the right sound and the right vision and the right talent. That once it was, we have Andy. Andy's our guitarist, like, he is part of Tsunami Bomb, that we could really say, like, we have that fifth piece that can move forward with a clear vision, and he's just such a talent in coming up with the wacky ideas, but that also just kind of pushes forward. To me, anyway, that felt like the moment we were like, okay, we are doing this, and we're doing it with this direction and vision of the five of us that are here. You mentioned briefly Chris, who I read had passed away in this process. I don't want to dig on anything you're uncomfortable with, but uh, just curious if that informed your decisions to move forward or, or if there's anything in the writing that was significant in relation to uh, his, his contribution, his friendship with the band. I mean, does he have a lasting legacy in Tsunami Bomb? He does. Yeah. Chris LaForge stepped in when Brian, due to some health stuff that he had to take care of and his own personal life kind of calling him back, he needed to kind of focus on those things and he kind of left and at the time that he left though not really intentionally he put us in a real bad position yeah and one of the promoters we had a texas tour coming up a run through texas and one of the promoters was chris the forge the guitarist for 30 foot fall and chris was just oh, from from, from nitro time. right yeah 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 i remember nitro that band Records. yeah they were still around though they were doing things very occasionally and he was still very much involved in the in the Houston, Texas punk scene, if not the whole Texas punk scene. And he stepped in, learned the songs, and we practiced with him one time when we got out to Texas, and he just killed it. That's awesome. And so that was super fun to work with him. And he had this entirely different approach of bringing a lot more metal and punk rock, which Sonoma's always had a lot of metal in it, Yeah, but he brought that lead in, and it was just a lot of fun, and I think that he was really, like, he was definitely a different kind, like, his, the 30 Football was used to, like, partying and being a hard-ass punk rock band, and then we would make him, we would drag him to, like, tourism events and all, like, <laughs> just go to Disneyland with him, and he loved it, like, he loved all those things, and, um, but he was in 30 Football, that was his first love, he was in Texas, he helped us with a lot of songs and I do feel like he influenced a lot of the writing while he was around helping us as we were because like songs were just flowing back and forth you couldn't help he would be like send them to me let me hear this song yeah you know for me Chris was my buddy of you know you're the other newbie all of a sudden oh yeah and I I remember being in his practice practice space that first night and you know I'm super antsy and nervous and all things and he knew I liked Disney so he started playing a whole new world (laughs) <laughs> after he heard me playing on the keyboard and ended up recording me like a metal version of it. So he had this weird mix of like crazy musical skill, but really fun and was also just kind of in it with us like, yeah, we'll figure it out. So 
um, you mentioned like his lasting effect on the music. Like I hear him so much, particularly in the spine that binds. And I hear this version he wrote of sinkhole that was like crazy metal. And so like, we're never going to use this. Like, I don't know what the hell you just wrote. <laughs> um, uh, but, but these moments, right. And for me, even vocally, like a lot of my times that I can get angry came from, we went out to play a memorial show for him. And it was the first time that Oubliette and I were both just like, so pissed off. It was just a bad night, didn't go well. And and I remember that kind of for me being this moment of like, ooh, angry is kind of fun on stage and angry can kind of work. And, yeah. you know, then turn to naysayers, turn to moments of other things. So I think there's a lot of Chris between the lines and a lot of these things, even beyond just how he touched all of us personally and bringing this back to life. So. We had talked about how it probably wouldn't be able to be in it in the long term, but he had helped <laughs> us so much. Yeah. And then to have him... He, he, he passed away at, uh, when he went to punk rock bowling and uh, it was very shattering we love that dude yeah it really hurt us and it really put I think we kind of came to a halt for a minute there yeah. where you I, <laughs> hey. it's hard. you can tell we like feelings yeah, yeah. it's hard it really hurt uh, to, to lose him and and uh but we had found Andy during that time and we started, you know, just kind of working on new songs and eventually like more show offers came and we started doing shows again and stuff. And, but it, that was a tough one for us. I, I think the, he really affected a series of a lot of, I mean, he didn't inspire all of them, but there, there's a lot of songs. There's a lot of touches of where we touch upon loss. Yeah. And he is definitely one of the losses that we felt along the way. Well, and, you know, frankly and directly, he's the today, the good old days of naysayers, of mm. the don't take it for granted. Like, that's Chris. Whether people right. will ever realize that or not, like, yeah, let's, let's have fun with this because life's too short to not. And even beyond, you know, his untimely passing, it's just like, no, that was Chris. He's like, fuck it, I want to have fun. I want to do what yeah. I want to do. So, you know, it's, it's fun, Chris. too. I really yeah, like that lyric that you mentioned, by the way. I thought that that was, I had a song a couple years ago. I had the realization that right now is a time that we may someday meet, be nostalgic for, okay. you know, and, and, and I definitely have a tendency, I'm a goal person, a plan person, you know, the yeah. next record, the tour, the whatever, you know, and uh, just kind of appreciating that at some point, you're going to be looking back on right now and missing that. And so trying to adjust my perspective and, and take things, learn things from the losses and the people that go before us. And, you know, like you said, you learn to channel that into a different side of yourself as a performer and, and you know, maybe as a writer. I always try to carry them with me in some way and, and try to... to be more appreciative and and more present anytime there's a, a close loss like that. So I, I think it's great that there are bits of him throughout this record, as you're saying. You guys both mentioned the song Naysayers. I mean, does that have anything to do with our previous conversation there where we were talking about having to kind of shut people up and like, nah, we're fucking here. Like, get over it. I mean, indirectly, for sure, yeah. right? Um, so I, I remember Dom and Andy coming over to my house um, trying to help me, like, formulate what the hell am I trying to say with, with this just, like, word vomit I had. And a lot of that particular track is 
it, it is. I'm so tired of hearing what other people say should make me happy. Yeah. Whether it was band related or career or family or, or anything. So, you know, it's funny because there's definitely a giant fuck you in that song. Yeah. Of whoever you apply to the you. But to me, uh, lyrically, it really is more about like today is your best days. So why are you going to waste your time worrying about anybody, anyone else's perspective on it? And it kind of became more a more channeled through Tsunami Bomb. But genuinely, it wasn't about Tsunami Bomb. It was just about, like, I don't want to worry about the future. I don't want to worry about anybody else other than this is a great moment and I want to keep myself in this moment. Because I'm like you. I, I don't. I am pragmatic as hell and, and like to focus on the negatives. So it's kind of a good reminder to myself of, like, this is really cool. And every day is really cool, so just appreciate it. So, Dom, can we talk about Biafra and the, the switch from Kung Fu to Alternative Tentacles? Well, uh... Dominic's fault, and a yeah. positive one. Yeah, I mean, um, are, you, are you still down with Escalante and, and that whole crew? Yes, of yeah. course. Kung Fu brought in newer partners. Mm -hmm. So Escalante is still kind of an advisor but doesn't really run it anymore. Yeah. It's assisted by a label called Cleopatra Records, who are great, and they've done great by us. We really like them. Yeah. But I think initially their interest in Kung Fu was not us. It was more about the Vandals, Blink-182, the Ataris. The I catalog. They knew, yeah, they didn't really pick up Kung Fu records for us. And at that time, all the previous records were out of print, Except on CD, they had a couple. They had some old CDs they were that we were ordering and selling, and then they had the Trust No One record. And uh, I think they just didn't really know what to think of Tsunami Bomb, so they weren't really focused on it. So we'd be like, "Hey, how's it going?" And they'd be like, "Hey," and they were really nice, but they yeah. didn't really. Is it sort of like Nitro Records? Like I know Dexter Holland sold them, and someone bought them, and now like they're still selling all the back catalog, but they're not signing right. new bands. Is it kind of like that now? No, well, yes and no. No, I think their their intention is to to keep pushing forward with okay. Kung Fu Records, but at the same time, it was like I think Joe had hoped that we would continue with Kung Fu. Yeah, but it just felt like all the people that we loved at Kung Fu who had helped come bring us back weren't really as involved. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? They would advise or they would be in and out, but they weren't really going to be the people we called and handled it. Yeah. Certain people but moved on after this and, you know, I mean, it's great. It's still great. I wouldn't discourage anybody from working with them or anything, but for us, that we just weren't a focus at that time. Yeah. Well, uh, we were still in a place where just like fans were hesitant and unsure, like, you know, labels were too. So as much as the Escalantes were in our corner, like, of course the label's gonna be like, I don't know, should we put out a record by this new old group? And, yeah. and what should that look like? And a band that's not gonna tour. So when, mm. you, when you look at a label and say, we wanna put out a record, but we're not gonna tour much. They're like, here's $20. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, here, we're a Goldilocks situation. Enjoy. Um, so I think that's where, for us, with Dominic's, you know, association with, with Alternative Tentacles and how great Jello's been, it, it kind of fit this weird Venn diagram niche of what we were trying to do and what a label was expecting and wanting from us. Yeah. Right. I mean, so as I said, like, we moved away from that. The irony is, I know they've expressed a bit of regret. Oh. <laughs> because... After we moved on, like Rolling Stone mentioned the Ultimate Escape. Oh, and yeah. if they hadn't done that, I'm not sure that Kung Fu now would have repressed those records on vinyl. Mm. Yeah. It was that mention that led to the Ultimate Escape being repressed. 
It was how well that did led to the Definitive Act being repressed. And so now they see it and they have even been like, I'm sorry we didn't, <laughs> you know, like they're like, you're not mad at us. When a band like, is basically dead for over a decade, like, eh, cool. What do you expect? Yeah, yeah I mean. Yeah, yeah we, like, we, don't hold them. we weren't mad, but it was like a combination of like new people coming in to more administrate Kung Fu and the people that really got us being gone that now they're great. They've been really kind to us and we just did two comps with them, two oh, holiday nice. comps. So it's a good relationship. I don't want to make it sound like it was a bad one. It just was obvious at first when we were looking like they were not, we just weren't on their radar. So we started looking around and again, just like in the old days, nobody was really responding. Like, like you don't just, quite fit. I don't know. Yeah. I think to what Kate said, it was like, okay, Tsunami Bomb's weird on a normal day. Yeah. It's not, it's not going to sound like, we never sound like what the hot thing is. We're just ourselves. We don't sound like fat records. We're just, we sound like Tsunami Bomb. So I think that a lot of people weren't sure, you know, and I don't blame them, but I, I, we didn't get a lot of response. Like, I don't think anybody wanted to say no, but they weren't sure about saying yes. Yeah. And even Jello at points, you know, loves certain parts of the discography and not so much other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't shy about telling us those parts uh, he Jello's... loves and doesn't love. So <laughs> it's a very weird amalgamation of, circumstance yeah he uh it turned out that so while we're shopping these around i ended up getting a job at alternative tentacles i worked there a couple years ago nice for marketing and then i came back in now i'm the general manager president of at oh shit and i'm gonna send you a demo my friend (laughs) (laughs) go ahead makes it really easy to trust your label when your bassist is your label yeah Yeah, there there was a really funny discussion where everybody was talking debating about like how we should interact with at like well what if they pull the deal or what if they don't like this and i was like well i'm the one you're negotiating with so (laughs) yeah and they're like yeah but maybe at won't want to do this and i was like again i represent i think we want to do it yeah (laughs) yeah i think we're going to be flexible but I wasn't considering alternative tentacles. I didn't feel like Tsunami Bomb was an alternative tentacles band or yeah. that Jello would like it. I knew that he liked Mayhem on the High Seas 7 Inch. Like, that's his favorite release of ours. And in his terms, he's like, I didn't like it when you were all woo and whoa, like everybody else. He goes, I liked it when you were trying to be weird and think about pirates and stuff. Sounds about right. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, know. right. But he got mad. He finally came up to me. I didn't know this. And as we were shopping demos, he's like, so is there a reason you don't want to be on Alternative Tentacles? <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, I don't know. You're sending demos out. You're not sending them to me. Why haven't I heard the demos? Why haven't I heard the songs? And like, I was like, oh, I just, I didn't think you'd like it. Like, we don't have any songs about Trump. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, well, it's just like, I was like, you, you're, he's known for not really being a pop punk guy. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, we're, we're not really... <laughs> I mean, I, I know we're not typical pop punk, but I mean, we're also, I think we're just too poppy for you. And he's yeah. like, who gives a shit about poppy? I signed Pansy Division. Yeah. He's like, that's poppier than you'll ever be. He goes, is your band boring? Are you a boring <laughs> band? Do you sound like everybody else? That's what I care about. Yeah. Send me the fucking demos. <laughs> and I mean, we're definitely not boring. So I was like, okay, but you're not going to like them. And yeah. he goes, well, we'll see about that. And then he, I sent it to him, and then he called me up, and he goes, I fucking like them. <laughs> <laughs> like, just like that. Goes, so I like them. I was like, oh, really? And he goes, yes. So They're good I, songs. That's kind of the behind the scenes of, like, how we found our home. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's 
nonstop entertaining. But uh, that's kind of yeah, great. Hey, he's been good to us. Yeah, he he's really brutally honest. He described us as. <laughs> He goes, yeah. I mean, you're kind of Pat Benatar goes goth back by TSOL, <laughs> and I was like, are you? Is it that works. a compliment? Sure. And yeah. he goes, eh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, I don't really like it when you go woos or the ahs, but he goes, I like that when you go dark. He has a lot of opinions about stuff, and he doesn't hold it back. And me working at AT did not get us that deal. Yeah. Because there's plenty of people who work through AT and do not get deals. He doesn't, that does that affects nothing. In fact, that counted against us because he was really torn about having the GM be yeah. a band that is yeah. now on the label. And I was worried about that when it, we were talking about it because I was like, I don't want any of the other bands we work with to feel weird about this. Yeah. But it actually worked out because especially when I told him, I was like, well, we don't tour like we used to. And he goes, I don't fucking tour like I used to. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but we only like do runs of shows. He goes, I only do fucking runs of shows. And I was like, okay, well. <laughs> I, I think there's been this mutual benefit of that brutally honest that, you know, Jello is known for. And like, we shoot straight. Like, you want to know something, we're going to tell you. If you have an opinion, we want to hear it. If we don't agree, we'll tell you and say thank you, but also fuck you and we're going to do it our way. Um, and I think it's been the right type of collaboration from, label respect but also label respecting us to say like okay do what you're gonna do yeah i was gonna ask i mean you said that uh, he's coming with strong opinions on the demos i mean does he act in some executive producer role of like okay i want you to go in this direction or these songs make the cut or is, is he going i don't like these things but you do what you want actually he did have a lot of opinions but it, on most things he will advise but when it came to us he was kind of like he'd listen to what we were doing and like i said he doesn't like it when we do the woes and the you know like he's yeah. not like he, He's like, I think you're overdoing the woes. He goes, I don't like that epifat side of you. I was like, the epifat side of us? <laughs> but then he goes, but I'm not stupid. I know your fan base does. Yeah. And he goes, and I know what you're doing here. These are good songs. They're interesting songs. And the, he goes, I worry. His worry is, he's like, I don't think you're traditionally what AT fans would expect from AT. Yeah. He goes, but you are weird. <laughs> like AT bands can be weird. And he goes, I think you have a unique perspective and an original sound and you're different from anything out there. And I like that. He goes, and then he's concerned. He's like, I don't know how AT will embrace you, but I know that you guys have your own fan base. It's yeah. very dedicated and they will, so it almost doesn't matter if AT fans embrace you or not. You're going to be fine wherever you go. Yeah, he's been a really good, like, objective eye to to small decisions too. So you know, around like producing, and and we definitely self produce this record, and you know, for friction at times amongst the five of us. But um, like, it came out of us. But I think a, a great example is when we started getting into what the track order was going to be on this record. And like Dom and Oubliette had their own thoughts on it. I had my own thoughts on it. And Jello was a great one to come in and say like, what would you do? Like, okay, why would you make that particular choice? And it kind of helped us weigh out some of our like, well, maybe this is a good thing to consider as we work through. So it was this really great input without ever being direction. He heard Kate's track listing and he goes, I have no notes. That's perfect. That's exactly what I would do. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I think that uh, people 
underappreciate sequencing because really to me that can make or break an album it flows really well and and the closer the title track is definitely the best way to leave off for sure his only thing was he felt that title and spine could switch doesn't need to switch mm. but they could either be the opener and closer no matter what and if but, i win yeah no but because <laughs> they say very similar things yeah and in the track listing that kate arranged that he went yep okay and that's the first time I've ever seen him do that. Like, he's always had, like, an initial thing. The fact that he even asked, he's like, who came up with this? And he was like, I was like, Kate. And he goes, mm-hmm, okay. Because you'll remember that. And then she arranged the songs in a very fascinating way where it does tell the story. And I do feel like with title, you have this announcement into existence of stating that, okay, you called us and now we're here. Yeah. And we're we're here now, and despite what some people will say and what people have done, we are going to be here. But then throughout this journey of this record, you see all these different ups and downs and difficulties and realizations and loss and, and the fight for your own identity and independence and to find yourself in all this. But in, in the end, after all of the loss and the struggle, you get this, I think, to spine the binds, the title track, which is why she was so correct in making it the last song. You have this final declarative statement of like, this is our story, our fight, our song. Like we, we aren't going anywhere. And now in fact, we're going to move forward despite everything that's happened. We're stronger for it. And we're right back to where we started, but even more so like we're still there. We haven't, we've changed, but we are still resolute in what we're about to do. Yeah. And uh, I think that really, I agree with you. I think a lot of people don't think about sequencing sequencing a record. I think that's incredibly important. Jello knows how important it is. Uh, I think it's a huge part of why this record works is how it's ordered. I think that's had a tremendous impact. And that was all Kate. Kate came up with that sequence. And it's only become proven how right she was. I got to ask about Jack Shirley. He uh, worked with my good friend's Broadway Calls. Uh, he also worked on... Uh, one of my favorite hardcore records in the last few years, a band called Punch. I was excited to see that you had worked with him. So you guys self-produced, and he did the the mixing. Did you mastering as well? What was his? No, uh, mastering was done by Steve Orlando, who actually masters and works on. A, he works at Skywalker Sound, and he works oh. on a lot of Marvel movies. In fact, I, I really like to say it's like the guy who mastered our record. You know the sounds that happen when Thor tries to forge a hammer and open up. The, open up the door to a star. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who mastered our record came up with that. <laughs> this is random, but the guy who did my latest, uh, or well, actually all my lyric videos worked on Into the Spider-Verse. So we, nice. we both nice. have a, we both have a nerdy uh, movie. Nerdy cinematic reference. But Jack Shirley was amazing. That was Andy's recommendation. Mm-hmm. I met with him. He had a great perspective, great record, great discography of stuff he's worked on. I was very impressed. Because we literally took everything that we had produced from multiple studios, multiple, very like all of this files from all over the place, and I dumped it in his lap. And I said, let's sort this out. <laughs> Span of three years, like six different studios. Yeah, we, we gave yeah, him like a lot. I wouldn't have guessed that at all. It sounds really consistent, actually. <laughs> well, there was a vision, but every album has a struggle. Our struggle this time was schedules and where but he was and just trying to make this record move forward. And we did it. I mean, it was a lot of pre-production over the course of years, but recording it took a year. 
yeah. from start to finish. And every record has a struggle, and that was this one's. And I think we've tried to kind of go, okay, the next time we're going to do this all together. Yeah. But and, I, and, and, and we're just going to take a weekend that we would normally a run of, of of days that we would normally do a run, and we're just going to go into the studio. But yes. uh, we're going to record in the same room. We are oh. totally going to do that. Even right now, we're in three separate places. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is very much how that record came together. And but I mean, we had a vision. We had. We had that. We knew what we wanted to sound like. We knew what we wanted to get to. And Jack really did. Nice. Jack really did. Just, he just showed us a Chewbacca mug, and that's, that's pretty legit. <laughs> that, that, that yeah, was relevant. I thought he was great. He did a great job. He helped us sort it out, and he helped us mix it to where we needed to be. He really. Li- it was funny as even he was trying to kind of kind of understand Tsunami Bomb. There were moments that he. In some of his mixes, as he was going along, we were like, no, 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 this, 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 and this. And he was like, oh, I get, I get what you're trying to do. Because it's hard, you know, I, I guess it's harder to understand. But, I mean, he did a great job. I, okay. I seriously think I can't recommend Jack Shirley high enough to a lot of people. He really sorted things out, really made sense of it. And he, we're, I, I really am grateful for his help because he did make sense of a mess. And I had no idea. I mean, I've been uh, producing and mixing records for a long time, and I didn't pick that out, that it was, uh, you know, somewhat of a hodgepodge of, of recordings. So, I mean, that, uh, yeah, well done to uh, yeah, Jack Steve Shirley. Orlando and Jack Shirley together really helped give the consistency that we were looking for, and they just killed it. I mean, And we had a lot, of the great team, we did a lot of it uh, with Derek King and White Whale, Chris Pillard and Apple Head Studios was incredible. District Studios, Ryan Perez, like so many people helped us with this. So, as we uh, wrap up here, I uh, have to shout out some mutual friends. Another band I've been listening to since high school. This summer, uh, my band was on tour and we got to hang out with Ephraim and Mike from Death by Stereo. <laughs> yeah. And we we got along super well. And Such and they were like, people. oh man, they're like. <laughs> Dude, we should hit the road together. It would be like, you guys, us, and Tsunami Bomb. I was like, you know Tsunami Bomb? I'm like, no shit. And then I, I talked to I talked to Mike yesterday. I told him you guys are coming on the show. And uh, he's like, oh, dude, we're doing a tour with them next month. So can, can you tell me you got dates coming out with Death by Stereo? Uh, do you know when that kicks off? January 23rd, we're playing in Fullerton. January 24th. Piper Room? Yeah, the Viper Room's on the 24th. 25th would be Yucatap Room in Tempe. And then we're playing the 26th at the Dive Bar in Las Vegas. That's pretty awesome. I would never have paired you guys together in my head, but uh, they're a lot different than I expected, too. They're just like super laid back, really nice dudes. And we don't so- care about your limitations, man. We're going to bust through them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a good DJ, you know. He, if you can put on two records that you don't think go together and make it work. It's like, oh, shit. I never thought of this pairing. <laughs> well, and you also get into a place where, like, you know, we're not on the road a ton. Like, we want to play with people that are fun. Yeah. So it was just so much fun, you know, BSing back and forth with them. And when we were playing with them in Tacoma, it was a pretty epic night and just, just great fun. So we're like, these are people we want to spend four days with. Yeah. So let's spend four days together. Yeah, uh, also the band, like we did play with them in Tacoma and the bands went together really well. Nice. And I, I think it surprised everybody even that night because I think we're a little bit more aggressive than people give us credit for. And they're a little more catchy than you would think too. So it, totally. it works. Totally. So 
we do come from the same era. Yeah. Like, and part of the same, we're all West Coast, like that era of punk rock. They have their unique spin and like, yeah, they are catchier than people give them credit for and we're harder than people give us credit for. Like, the bands actually go together really well and I think even like, Ephraim and Mike were like, our bands really work together well and like, it kind of makes sense, you know, now that I think about it, but like, you wouldn't have thought of it. But I think anyone who goes to those shows, and I hope we do more with them, uh, anyone who goes to those shows are going to be are going to be really stoked with how the bands blend. And on top of that, like, you guys are both in, in thinking about it now, just just thinking out loud, like you guys are both kind of the outliers, you know, like you are now like the quote unquote like pop punk band on alternative tentacles. But before you were also out of the box, like, oh, you're not pop punk enough. If you look at a band like that, they're not quite punk enough. They're not quite metal enough, you know, and so like you take these two great outlier bands who just want to like have a great time and it, it, it does make sense in in the more that i think about it it's kind of great <laughs> yeah there's metal there's elements of metal in our work there's elements of hardcore there, there's a lot of things in there and then and then they are i'm sorry they're popular than they think they are <laughs> i think even they think they are i wouldn't call them a pop punk band by any means but like no. you listen to death by stereo songs there's some really catchy things in there and i just uh, you know, I think that's going to be a really fun matchup. There's a couple other bands that we're talking that's to about good. doing runs with nice. that I think will also be kind of fun and unique. But that's the other thing. Like, we do not care. Yeah. We, if you're fun and you're interesting, like, I, I don't care if your band's a marching band. I'm going to play with your <laughs> band. Like, I mean, we have a show coming up this Friday with the World Inferno Friendship Society. That's a voodoo punk rock cabaret <laughs> band from New York that are almost a swing feel like they're just a unique fun dark kind of band and then we're playing with arno core which is a they call themselves adventure rock and roll which is like essentially their skate punk hardcore and metal mix nice. i mean we don't care like i love those kind of shows and i think if anything in the years that we've been a band one thing i've noticed since we've come back is when we started like i said we came from a scene where everything was crazy and now in the scenes that we see, people homogenize a little too much. Like, yeah. I'm not saying that it's not great to see an all-punk bill or an all-hardcore bill, but like challenge some, some audiences. Like Let's throw them all together and see what we like. Because, I mean, I love everything. I, I, don't, I think there's a lot more fans that are into a lot more different things than they think. You know, I, 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 I don't think people are so limited. I think we can't, we should mix it up. I think it should be weird. Let's make these bills weird. <laughs> yeah. That's weird again. That's <laughs> great, man. Cause when, like when I'm out on a punk tour, I want to listen to something else in the van. When I'm out on a rap tour, I want to listen to punk in the van. Cause it's like, you, like you said, it's kind of homogenized. You watch four acts a night and you're hearing kind of the same tempo, the same sort of structure. That's kind of the great thing about being a band that doesn't quite fit in the box is that you're going to get paired up with all kinds of unlikely acts and make for some really interesting, memorable bills that aren't going to just blend together when you you know play a bunch of shows together. Cello said something really that I've always remembered, and I like it, the quote, so much because it's totally us. And he said that when he started Dead Kennedys, they were never trying to be a punk band. Mm. They were just trying to be a great band. Yeah. His biggest complaint about punk rock is that he goes, everybody just listens to punk rock and then they play punk rock. He goes, <laughs> so you get bands that sound like bands that sound like bands that sound like bands. And he goes, and generally someone will send me a demo 
And it's like, dude, I know the great, great, great grandfather <laughs> of this sound. I heard them. Yeah. I watched them play. You say, I, I, you know, you're a clone of a clone of a clone of a clone. He goes, I think that's the biggest problem with punk rock. Yeah. And he goes, we just wanted to be a great band. We listened to everything. You, and then you listen to the Kennedys, like they pulled surf, metal, old rock, like they were doing everything. I, I, you know, I look at that the same and I'd like to see more people do that. Like, let's challenge. I mean, you heard what Kate listens to. I listen to, I don't listen to punk rock when we're writing punk. I listen to hip hop. I listen to pop. I listen to like anything I can get that give me ideas that are just, let's try and make it as weird as possible. Well, that went longer than I expected, but that, that was really fun. <laughs> I hope you guys had a good time. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, Thank totally. you so much for, for making time. And if you guys ever make it up to the Northwest again, let me know. We will. We could do another uh, punk rock show. It'd be fun. That'd be rad. That'd be great. Yeah, we will. Totally will. All right. I don't know about you, but that was super fucking fun. Shout out to these guys for being so generous with their time and, and, and so open and honest about everything. That was, that was a really good time. The Spine That Binds is out now. I got the advanced copy of it so I could do this interview and have some frame of reference but honestly I mean I said it was kind of shocking at first the contrast because I'm so used to Emily's voice and I'm not used to having the keys back but uh, you know the more that I played it the more the album really grew on me and I actually ordered a copy you know I had the, the press advance but I went to alternativetentacles.com and I ordered the CD because I, I want to have this and I want to keep listening to it not just on my uh, computer here while I'm working on the podcast so I encourage you to do the same also uh, subscribe to this show if you haven't yet share this do a screen cap of this episode share it on social media spread the word and uh, the more eyes I get on this the more cool artists will want to do the show so I will leave you with a track from The Spine That Binds. They did just drop a music video for Naysayers. That's super cool. You should check that out. But they let me pick what we're going to close with. So this is my favorite track from the album that really embody that classic Tsunami Bomb vibe. This is called The Hathors.
voice inside. 